blessing to be here the two or three days, but the Gravelies, and one thing about the Gravelies, they are world-class eaters, I tell you. We have, I'm going to have to go home fast till January 1st, I think, after eating here a couple of days, but it's a blessing, I appreciate it, I'm comfortable uh, coming here and preaching, and you know, some places you go, you know, I'm kind of tenuous about what I say, and I'm a little bit worried about it, and I'm careful, but uh, and I, I'm, I'm just going to say what I want to say here. I feel, I feel comfortable. Uh, not that maybe I can get away with it, but I, uh, I might have somebody stand up for me. I don't know, but I do appreciate uh, being here very, very much. It's a blessing. I want to thank the church also for uh, supporting our son, Jordan, uh, on the mission field in Mexico. He's in the process of building a building, a uh, church uh, that he's planted and it really got going halfway decent before COVID. And then COVID just about knocked it in the head, knocked it in the head and put it underground. And he just had a few people and he's worked with another church in Mexico there all during COVID. But uh, he's starting this building project. He was with me in Alaska uh, last month. I think I was there in the, no, the end of October, the end of October, last week of October, because we flew home January 1st, uh, November 1st. But uh, we were there the last night of the meeting. And at your church, uh, I don't think there were 70 people there that night, 60, somewhere between 60 and 70 people. And the pastor got up and he said, now, he must have talked to Jordan. I didn't talk to him about it at all. And uh, he said, we want to help him build this building and put, invest some money in it. And it just got going. I mean, it was the most hilarious offering I think I've ever been in in my life. And the Bible says, God blesses a cheerful giver. These people were cheerful about giving their money. And there was a man over here on this side of the building, and he raised his hand. He said, my wife's going to give $500. <laughs> and people kind of laughed about it a little bit, kind of like you just chuckled. And she raised her hand and said, yeah, and my husband's giving another $500. And it got on. And I gave 1000 myself in the offering. The pastor gave 1000 himself in the offering. And uh, we walked out of there that night with $18,250. Uh, you know, just a small little work. And it was a very interesting uh, congregation, too. They have probably, uh, I don't know, at least 20 young people that are probably between the ages of 20 and 25 or so. None of them are married. They're just all single, and they all work, and they got to giving, and I think trying to outgive one another. And it was just a wonderful blessing. But I, I appreciate what this church uh, does for him. Uh, monthly in support, and I know he does too, and I'm grateful to be here. I thank God for the opportunity. This is a wonderful, wonderful Sunday night crowd, and I, I tell you, it's just a great. A lot of churches, uh, my dad used to use this term. I don't know exactly what it means, but he said, I know churches that would, pastors that would give their eye teeth to have this many people on a Sunday night, and we had, I think there's really more here tonight uh, than there was uh, this morning. I don't know where some of you were. It should have been here, but uh, we, <laughs> we had a pretty good time. But I, I, I like to go to church. You know, every once in a while it gets out of the bank, 
I like it when it gets out of the banks. I really do. I, I like it when it just gets on and God blesses. And I thought about a couple of those songs that were sung tonight. I remember the day. I remember the day that God began that wonderful work in my life. It's just as clear to me. You know, I'm 75 years old nearly. It's really the day I got saved 53 plus years ago is more clear to me than last Thursday, to be honest with you. I mean, it's just a life-changing I remember when I was a little boy, I don't know, I probably was 10, maybe at the most 10 years old, and my grandparents came down to Florida, and uh, we lived there in Florida for a while. My dad was assistant pastor at a large church, and uh, I think maybe it was after we had come back to Michigan, maybe that's what it was, we made a trip for whatever reason, and my dad got in his head, he said, I'd like to go to Miami. And so we got in the car and drove down to Miami, me and my dad and my grandparents, his mom and dad. And we pulled up in front of a little old country church, you know, with that moss hanging down from those trees in that part of the world and just sand or dirt, whatever, on the ground. And that no parking lot really, just that. And my dad said, I want to go in this building. I really didn't know what was going on. I was a young lad like this boy in the front row. And uh, my dad was in there in a, a long time, seemed like to me, sitting there in that hot car. We didn't have, no, there was no air conditioning in those days. And at least my grandparents didn't have an air conditioned car coming from Michigan. And my dad come out of there. He would probably in his 30s, if I was 10, he'd have been in his 30s. And he came out of there. I'd never seen anybody do this in my life. I'd never seen anybody, I've never seen him act like that. And he was shouting and praising God and weeping. And I'm, you know, I, I said, what's wrong with this old codger, you know? <laughs> he got in the car, and I remember him leaning in the car. And he, and I didn't know this, but that was, he went to the church when his mom and dad had gone down during the Depression to work. And uh, in that little church is where my dad got saved. And he found that place at the altar. And I think one of the lady gave a testimony talked about herself getting saved over here and her husband getting saved over here, if I got that right. And he found, went to that place where the God of heaven Remember the day and the hour and the moment and the situation and the circumstances and the pew and the all place on the altar. I could take you today to within a foot of the place I got saved, down on my knees in my bedroom as a 21-year-old young man and got born again where God started all of that in my life. And it's never going to end. I mean, what you've got when you got saved, it ain't never going to end. That's just the beginning. And hallelujah, the best is yet to come. I don't, I, I'm, you know, I'm a little bit excited about this sermon because I've never preached it before. 
So you know I'm comfortable if I'm practicing a brand new sermon on you folks tonight. So I better get at it. But I killed a little time. You know, a wonderful thing about this, uh, they got a clock up here tell you what time it is, but I put my Bible over it so I'm not intimidated by it at all. And somebody said to me, I went over this morning for three minutes, you know, God help us, watching it that close now. In John chapter 18, you can turn there if you want to, you don't have to turn there, but I want to just read one verse there in John chapter 18 and verse 5, and I'm going to talk about several other places. I'm going to talk to you tonight. Where do you stand? And I was reading my Bible like you do every day, and I came through this uh, last month. John chapter 18 and verse 5. Jesus is there. Uh, these men are coming. And verse number 5, they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus saith unto them, I am he. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. Stood with them. Father, we thank you for this evening. Thank you for the blessings of God. Thank you for the little trip in my heart and life down memory lane where you saved me, where you saved my dear dad. He was just nine years old, if I remember right. Been in eternity now, been in heaven now for a year and three quarters. All because of a decision made and a savior that came and a redemption that was exhibited in his life as just a kid. We thank you for it. Pray you'd bless and help. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Judas there in verse number five stood with the enemy. And I read a little bit later in that chapter, and you get to verses 18. And it said there, the servants and officers stood there. And you get to the end of that 18th verse. It said, and Peter stood with them and warmed himself. And you get over to the 19th chapter, and there's a couple other places where Simon Peter, in verse number 25 of chapter 18, and Simon Peter stood and warmed himself by the fire with the curious, with those who said, you know, and I somebody gave a testimony here on this side of the building a moment ago that I'm not ashamed of the Lord and I want to talk about the Lord. But that wasn't Peter's case. He stood with the enemies. And he was not able to confess. He denied the Lord. And then you got in chapter number 19. And this is a moving, moving portion of scripture. In verse number 25. And there stood by the cross of Jesus. His mother and his mother's sister. Mary the wife of Cleophas. And Mary Magdalene. Here his loved ones. And his mother and John, of course, was there. And they stood there. And then in chapter 20 and verse 11, the Bible said, but Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping. And so you've got some sta people standing there. 
I don't know what you believe is the most marvelous thing that has ever happened. I think, you, you know, you think about the Lord Jesus one day. Uh, he had delivered a demonic man from demons and the pigs ran down into the river, or excuse me, into the Sea of Galilee. And, and then he was invited by this man to come. His daughter was dying on her deathbed. And on the way there, a woman touched the hem of his garment and she was healed. And then somebody came and said, well, she's dead. Forget about it. And when he got there, he had to put everybody out of the house and except uh, Peter, James, and John. And the parents went in. And he said, uh, Talitha Kumai, and that little gal came to life. That's a miraculous thing that someone would come from the depths of death back into life. And then it happened another time when a woman was with tears headed to the cemetery with her son in a casket. And he came and touched that, and that boy revived. What a miraculous day! What an exciting thing that must have been. And then, of course, when he raised uh, uh, his beloved friend there, uh, Mary and Martha had brought him and Lazarus come up out of that grave. What a, what a miraculous, wonderful, powerful. I say this and it's almost redundant and uh, maybe petty to say, but what life-changing moments that was for those people. But those miracles are great. But to me, the greatest miracle is that God could reach down into the, into the soul of a devil-possessed man or woman or a denying person and save that never-dying soul, be redeemed and washed in the blood of Jesus Christ to live eternally with him forever in glory. What a miracle that is. What a tremendous thing that is. I came across another thing the other day. I had a daily devotional called the Baptist Bread, and I thought about doing a series. I'd never, I'd never even seen this before in my life, and I'm going to call it the ions, the ions. An ion is a group of atoms that have a positive or a negative electric charge as the result of having lost or gained one or more electrons. And I thought about those ions. There's so many words that begin, excuse me, that end you can tell this is the first time I ever preached this. I'm practicing on you. If you get tired, I'll be done real quick. These, these new sermons, they're usually shorter than the other ones. Say amen right there. But these words that begin, that end, I'm saying begin again, that end with I-O-N. Salvation. I-O-N. S-A-L-V-A-T-I-O-N. Salvation. That's the whole process from the start to finish in our renewed relationship with Jesus Christ. We have salvation. And then there's redemption. That's the completed payment of the debt that we owed 
to Jesus Christ. It's the cost of the process that purchases us as redeemed children of God. It makes us part and parcel of the family of God. And then propitiation. That's the specific payment that justified the covering of our personal debt. He made propitiation Roman, in the book of Romans. Then there's regeneration. The act where the dead sinner is made alive in Christ Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 1. We were dead in trespasses and in sins. Far away from the grace of God. But redemption, regeneration took place. Then I like this word that ends with I-O-N, adoption. That's the judicial act whereby a sinner is made a part of God's family. And then justification, an act whereby God makes a sinner a saint and makes us righteous. And then imputation. God imparts our sins to the Savior and His Son's righteousness to us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 21. What a tremendous truth. Then sanctification. A sinner is saved from the penalty and the power. And one of these days, thank God, we are going to be saved from the very presence of sin. There's no sin in heaven. There's a lot of sinners there that got saved, but there's no sin there. Thank God I am looking for a place where sin does not reside. And then there's reconciliation. When two parties who are at enmity one with another agree (laughs) and the cause of the grievance is gone and we are together by God's grace. And then there's remission. Those that have had that wonderful gift of salvation. And I like this. This is going to happen to every born-again child of God. Whether you want to go to heaven or not, there's glorification. That is the end result of redemption in glory where we begin to settle in and praise God all day. There's not going to be any night there. All day long for all eternity. I don't know about you, but this old world's in a mess. Families are in a mess. I wrote this down today. I thought, I don't know if it would be humorous or not, but my wife and I have been saved for for 53 years, and my wife and I have been married for 53 years, and uh, she's been a preacher's wife for 53 years. I got called to preach in October of 1970. We were saved in uh, March of 1970, and we got married in, 19, uh, in August of 1970. And we have never, in all these 53 years, had an argument. Not one. But quite often, we have had some very intense fellowship. (laughs) 
Some of you can relate, I think. A lot of, lot of difficulties in this old world, a lot of heartache, a lot of problems, a lot of things going on. I, I, I'll be honest with you, I'm a little bit excited about this war in Israel. It sounds a lot like getting, we're getting really close to the end. And you know, the only country that has stayed with Israel, I mean, they had a vote this week in uh, the United Nations. And everybody in that special 15, they voted against Israel, except Britain, they just abstained. But we didn't vote against them. We're the only nation. I mean, the world now is against that country that God loves. That special nation that he thinks a whole lot of. You think about the place you got saved. You think about what happened over there in Israel. I mean, since way, 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 way back. It's older than everybody in this room. I'll tell you that right now. But the families and the homes and our churches some, uh, to a certain extent are in such a serious mess. And I, I just kiddingly said this morning the preacher was wanting to get it. You know, people are saying amen and people are shouting and we've had a little bit of that tonight. Hadn't got out of the banks. I wish it would. I like. I, I was in the last time I was out of the banks, I was preaching in a, a big meeting in uh, Chicago, Illinois. And there's probably seven, eight hundred people there. And it got on that night. It got out of the bank. And it wasn't a church where they really do a lot of shouting. Chicago? Who would think? I mean, it got on that night. It was about September of last year. I mean, we got to praising God and people got in the altars and got in the aisles and people started getting right with one another. We, we had a time for about 45 minutes after the service was over. You know, I think one of the problems is we have, we're too interested in getting out instead of getting in. I think part of the answer to the question of life, and this is my last thought along the, but where do you stand? Where do you stand with Israel? I stand with them four square. I'm with them 100%. I've read my Bible. Those Israelites went in there and killed a lot of people back in the Bible. They're just piddling around right now. They ain't even got started, in my opinion. You say, Brother Green, well, you can Brother Green me if you want to. You know, I think we need, you, you remember all the problems Joseph had? I mean, his brothers, they really didn't like him and they sold him into slavery. And, you know, Potiphar's wife, she lied on him and just difficulty after difficulty. And that was two guys, you know, when he's in the, prison house of butler and the baker and and they have a dream and he'll one guy oh this is a great i'm great and the other guy he says well you're gonna be dead you know tomorrow and uh, so the guy that's alive old joe he said please tell pharaoh what happened i'd like to get out of here and i think it was two years and one day he said oh by the way i think i remember you know he must have been an old codger Finally, Joseph gets out, and you know, all the stuff that he went through. I'm going to give you just a five point outline, and I'm not going to develop it. Number one, don't demand to understand the circumstances of life, the things that happen. 
I preach for a man. I do have illustrations. I, do, I did drop my glasses. I thought this little thing would catch him. But I got a preacher friend. I preached for him last year. I didn't know him before till I got there, got to the church. He had a beautiful home that I could stay in right there on the property. Huge, huge. The biggest parking lot I think I have ever seen at a church in my life. Monstrous. And huge building, seat 1,200 people. And so I got in my house there that they put me in, and I stayed, and I walked, I don't know, 100 yards or so over to the church house. 40 people there Sunday morning. That huge building. I think we might have got up to 50 Sunday through Wednesday meeting. And uh, Sunday night, a lady and four children got up and sang a song. She made a little statement about uh, her husband not being there and something about prison. And, and so my mind was, I thought, I asked the preacher afterwards, I said, that lady with the four children that sang so well, uh, her husband works in prison? He said, no, he's in prison. He said, he's my son. I'll tell you about it tomorrow. We went out to eat, and long story short, his son had done something as a younger man and came back to get him, and they arrested him right at the church on Sunday morning. That was nice of the FBI to do that. He's been in prison now for, I think, five, at least five years, maybe six. But since I've been there last September, year ago, September, he came down with cancer. Bad. They, of course, say you don't get the best of medical care in the, in the prison. Finally, a doctor came and saw him and got so upset that got him out of prison, got him in a hospital, had to have a guard stand at the door like this fellow with cancer is going to escape. He couldn't even walk. He died about three weeks ago. I've talked to the pastor once on the phone about it. You know, we, we can't demand to understand what God is doing in our lives. Because a lot of people get upset about it. A lot of people get mad at this thing or that thing. My wife and I, um, the day before Thanksgiving just passed, Dear preacher friend of mine's wife passed away. She's been sick for probably four or five years now. We went to the funeral. Precious lady. I loved her. I loved her husband. I preached, I've been preaching that church for 50 years. Just wonderful people. You folks would really like that pastor. He's from Mississippi. And when you walk into his office, it looks like a Confederate museum. I mean, hallelujah. I mean, he's got pictures and he's got flags. Oh, you, you might know. You know Jim Brown, don't you? You know Jim. This precious wife, I loved her. She was, she was such a blessing to me. She always made me, every time I'd come there and preach, she would make me a, a thing. It's about the size of this pulpit. And she called it Butterscotch Supreme. It was the best butterscotch dessert anybody has ever put in their mouth. And she'd make that for me every time. I wish I, I really, I like to preach there every month, frankly, <laughs> just for that. But all the difficulties, we have no right 
to say, God, why? Why do I have to go through this? Why do I have to face that? Why do I have to suffer in this situation? Our Heavenly Father knows what's best for us. I don't think we can ever fail to be faithful. God help us just to stay faithful. It's required of a good steward that he be found, what? Faithful. Just faithful, not famous. Not important in business, but just to be a faithful servant of God. Joseph surely was that. You don't read anywhere in your Bible. It's not even intimated in any place in the Bible where he was angry about any of the difficult circumstances that he faced in life. This topic is a big topic to me in, in revival meetings. Don't bow to bitterness. There's so many of God's people around our nation, good people just like you folk, that get bitter over things. This happened, that happened, she said this, he did that. And we let that bitterness, that root of bitterness, you know, that root of bitterness, it's not just a little like that. That thing just spreads out all over in your life. And it just stifles and just about swallows up anything spiritual that you could have in your life. That bitterness. I know people are going to hurt your feelings. I know somebody's going to say something that might make you feel bad. So what? You ever remember, remember that little thing, sticks and stones and they break my bones, but words will never hurt me? I don't think somebody married made that up. Because sometimes we men massacre our marriages with our mouths. Sometimes we say things that hurt our loved one. Or maybe hurt a child. Say something about, a, you know, you're the dumbest kid God ever put on this planet. I look up at that, well, you're the one that made me. <laughs> My dad never said that to me. And don't, don't become impatient with God. Where do you stand? Where do you stand on the, you know, I could talk about the fundamentals of the faith. I, that's not my message tonight. But God help us to stand. Stand for what's right. We have a God that does right. God never does anything wrong. Everything that happens is for our benefit. You know another thing about Joseph don't let the dreams that you have dissolve into nothing. There's people, there's young people in this building and other people of age. Keep the dream alive. Keep the hope alive. What God can do, God can do anything but fail. Now, if you're here tonight, you're not a Christian. I ask you, where do you stand? I'll tell you where you will stand if you don't get saved. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 20 and verse number 12, the dead, small, and great stand before God. We're all going to stand before God. There's two, you know, there's the judgment seat of Christ and there's 
the other one that ain't too hot. But you're going to be real hot after you stand there. My goodness. We're going to stand before God and give an account for our lives. How, how in the world could you go to a church like this where the gospel is preached, thundered from this pulpit, service after service after service after service, and end up dying and going to hell? Because you wouldn't believe, wouldn't put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I think someone else back in this part of the building uh, talked about where they were. No sister over here talked about going to a little church up somewhere in the, I don't know where it was, somewhere in the boondocks. That's, I think, really, when you talked about, I see you smiling, so now I figured out who it was, but... <laughs> That put it in my mind about my dad going to that place in Miami, Florida. I think it was called the Little River Baptist Church. Going to that spot. Wouldn't that be a wonderful assignment before the year is out to make a little trip to the place where God saved you? I saw. It's a wonderful thought to me. It's a glorious thing to think about. I want to stand with him. Having done all to stand, the apostle said, stand. Just keep on standing for right. Keep on standing for the faith. Keep on standing for this old King James Bible. If I didn't believe that was the word of God, I'd quit preaching. I had a preach. I preached for a guy over here in Tennessee, and he got with some critic. And the guy said, well, I'd like to show you a mistake in the Bible. This is the guy I used to know, the, the guy that said, I'd like to show you a mistake in the Bible. He used to be a good preacher. I haven't seen him in probably 30 years. I'm kind of glad I haven't seen him in 30 years. And that preacher friend of mine said, I don't want to see a mistake in the Bible because I don't believe there is a mistake in the Bible. And I can say with a surety, I could not tell you how many times I've read through that book. But I, there is no mistakes in that Bible. And if you see something in there that you can't figure out, you know what you ought to do? Just chalk it up to your own ignorance. That's what I do. There's stuff in there. I can't know what in the world. I don't understand what in the world. Well, you're just stupid, Tim. That's easy. It's easy to do. You, you, how in the world do you think that God would write a book that we would know everything about everything in this book? Take a thousand lifetimes. Father, we thank you for this evening. Thank you for your goodness. I appreciate what you've done in my own life. I rejoice in being saved, knowing the forgiveness of sin. I rejoice in the fact that the people who have come across the path of my life, I could name old preachers that had such an impact and Christians who have gone to their reward that had an impact, young people like our pastor here that's 
had an impact on my life and a blessing in his family and this church. I don't know everybody's name in the church. I don't even try, but I know their faces. They've been a blessing to me. And we just go through my mind a million years from today. We'll all be in glory and have another uncountable number of years and days to enjoy our fellowship and be with our Savior and worship him and praise him. Bow at his feet as dead men. For his grace is sufficient. Salvation is pure. The life that he gives is abundant and free. I pray you'd help us. Here we are at the dawn of these holidays. Sometimes we get distracted by them. Sometimes it just seems like there's so much to do. Christmas cards to get out and packages to send and send and family and all that stuff. But I pray we would not just keep our eyes focused on the little babe in the manger, but the king of all eternity that reigns in our heart and in our lives, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray that you'd come soon, Savior. Come and get us. Bless Israel, help her in this hour that they're facing with the whole world against them. For some reason, and I think it's because of people like us, us Christians, so far we've stood by them, and I pray you'd help us to do so. Pray you bless this church, have your good hand of grace upon her, and I ask it in Jesus' name. Heads are bowed, their eyes are closed.